Live from New York City, it's the Gary Null Show. And now, your host, Gary Null. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Null. Nice to have you with us today. No guest today, so we can spend more time reviewing issues that are important to all of us. I'm going to begin by taking a look at testosterone. It's very misunderstood. Most of the men, by the time they reach 35 or 40, are already substantially in decline on free testosterone. You wouldn't know that because the archaic medical model for testing it. I'll share the latest from Bill Falloon on testosterone. Then, new research from the Rush University Medical Center shows that Alzheimer's may be killing far more Americans than thought. So therefore, it's not just a matter of losing your memory, it's a matter of losing your life. And we're now going to be at epidemic numbers of people with Alzheimer's. Good news about a dietary supplement that can treat pancreatic cancer. Bad news about eating too much protein that most Americans in middle age have done for a long time. In fact, it's as bad as smoking, according to the University of Southern California. Vitamin D increases breast cancer patient survival and a lot more on health and healing. We like to look at everything that we can do on a daily basis that can allow us to live a longer and healthier life, always citing mainstream, independent, quality, scientific literature. Also today, I'm going to share a positive commentary from Rinpoche called The Jewel You Carry With You from uh, Shambhala Sun. I'm going to look at a commentary from Ralph Nader, The Myth of Big Corporate Capitalism, from uh, the, uh, let's see where's, not sure where he originally posted this. The U.S. is now spending 26% of available tax revenue to pay interest. Why should we pay any? I'll deal with that as well. The Emperor's New Clothes, The Naked Truth About America's Police State by John Whitehead, Op-Ed News. From our environmental segment today, Florida to bulldoze a rainforest to make room for Walmart. Well, that makes sense. Not. And also from our public health segment, Cutting Edge News. Is Monsanto contributing to the rise in psych drugs and by extension mass shootings? Vaccine Liberation Army. We have a lot on that. Also today, a Dutch, the, the Dutch Minister of Health, quote, psychiatric diagnoses are not real diseases. Whoa. Someone actually had the courage to tell the truth? Yeah. More so than anyone in the United States in official position, they never tell the truth at the FDA, CDC. They're just pathological liars. So we have to go to the Netherlands to get the truth. Quote, there's a lot of cuts in mental health, uh, but mental illness are not really diseases. That is a sound idea. Well, I'll explore that. That opened a door. Also today, the great corporate swindle, creation of the world's largest free trade area, agribusiness sets the U.S.-European Union TTIP Agenda, Colin Todd Hunter, Global Research. As you see, we have a lot to share. Let's begin. I will be taking calls in about 20 minutes, and our call-in number is 888-874-4888. 888-874-4888. Also, we have the largest number of listeners over the telephone of any other 4,000 radio uh, stations in North America listening right now. If you want to use your telephone and call in and listen to the show live, let me give you the number. 401-347-0456. 401-347-0456. Or 712-432-7231. Always wise to keep that number with you. You never know when you're going to need it. According to the University of California, as published in the peer-reviewed journal Anti-Cancer Research, 
They're finding that vitamin D increases breast cancer patient survival. According to Professor Garland, professor in the Department of Family and Preventive Medicine, showed that low levels of vitamin D were linked to high risks of premenopausal breast cancer. And that finding prompted him to question the relationship between vitamin D3 and breast cancer survival rates. So they performed a statistical analysis of five studies on vitamin D obtained at the time of patient diagnosis and their follow-up for an average of nine years. Combined, they looked at 4,443 breast cancer patients. Quote, vitamin D metabolites increase communication between cells by switching on a protein that blocks aggressive cell division. As long as vitamin D receptors are present, tumor growth is prevented. I repeat, tumor growth is prevented and kept from expanding its blood supply. Vitamin D receptors are not lost until a tumor is very advanced. This is the reason for better survival in patients whose vitamin D levels are high. End quote. We've probably mentioned on a thousand occasions to take your vitamin D. Now, we know this, and this is so important. As we age, we're almost always going to have a reduction in important hormones. But it doesn't happen all at once. It's slow. And the one I want to focus on now is testosterone, especially in men. Because here's the bad news for all the men in this audience who are listening and all the women who can share this insight with the men in your life. If a man has a decline in testosterone, they risk dying substantially more than if they had normal levels. Heart disease, osteoporosis, muscle wasting, those are all linked to having a deficiency in testosterone, as are chronic inflammation, neurodegenerative disorders. And it's not surprising to those of us who are in the field of health, but most doctors are surprised to learn that men with low testosterone show an increased incidence of prostate cancer. So long before life prematurely ends, testosterone deficiencies can manifest in the form of psychological disturbances like depression, reduced sexual desires, and just a loss of the sense of well-being. Now, we have advocated life extension more than anyone else, I believe, in the United States, and Bill Falloon have advocated. Get your blood level tested. And if you do, you'll find that most people are deficient. But here's the good news. You can restore testosterone to youthful ranges. It's easily and it's not costly. First, you've got to know what is the optimal range because orthodox medicine is just, they're in a different time warp. They're so out of touch. The number of men who suffer, according to Bill Floon, from testosterone deficiency is so high that laboratory reference ranges accept ridiculously low levels as normal. That's why you have to be in the hands of a holistic physician or nurse practitioner or someone who can read the uh, your blood report and give you an accurate understanding. For example, let me just give you what I consider what's important. I suggest that you have a free testosterone of 20 to 25 uh, PGs over mLs, which is a millimeter, milliliter of blood. Otherwise, um, you might be called normal if you're 15. Even conventional blood labs, I've I've seen blood reports from men who say, well, my testosterone's all right. It, it was six. No, it's not all right if it's six. That's incredibly low. So mainstream medicines, ignorance regarding the need to maintain free testosterone in the higher ranges is significant because it can cause premature death and disability in, in men. So most people are in a state of denial as to how long nature intends us to live. And it's, it's one of those phenomena that I'm asked all the time. Even today, I was speaking with a person from West Virginia someone I've known for over 30 years. And the person finally, at the age of 65, 
has decided maybe now is the time to pay attention to their health. Why? Because their best friend throughout their whole life just died. And they said that was the wake-up call. Generally, it takes the death of a close friend, long-time friend, and then you think, whoa, what just happened just a year ago, six months ago, three weeks ago, five years ago? They seem fine. Yeah. But then you didn't pay attention to how long nature intends us to live. A 30 to 40-year-old man is also likely to have low free testosterone. That could be a substantial shortener of your life. And in an analysis of males age 40 to 49, the mean free testosterone level was only 12 pg per milliliter. And those of 30 to 39 were just a smidget above it at 12.8. Mind you, I said it should be 20 to 25. So I'll give you the ranges now. So write these down. Free testosterone, 30 to 39 years of age. Uh, I'm going to s suggest that what you ideally should have well, you know what I'll do? I'll do it even better. I'm going to put this up on my website under blog.garynell.com because it's a long chart. In this way, you'll you'll be able to have it. Um, now, keep in mind, as you age, your testosterone is going to go way down. Men age 70 and higher have free testosterone levels that are only 8 to 9, and that's really low. Get them up, and life changes. So... And by the way, testosterone protects you against heart attacks. Most people know that higher blood levels of HDL, high-dense lipoprotein, protect against atherosclerosis and subsequent heart attacks. But few understand is the critical role that testosterone plays in enabling HDL to remove build-up cholesterol away from arterial walls. Quite simply, HDL, the high-dense lipoprotein, removes cholesterol from the arterial walls and returns it to the liver for safe disposal via process known as reverse cholesterol transport. And testosterone enhances HDL's induced reverse cholesterol transport from the arterial wall. And this, that's one of the wonderful things, unique things, that testosterone is able to do that's life-saving. And uh, also, um, when a person can reduce their arterial wall exposure to cholesterol through healthier diets and by taking you know, certain supplements, uh, they can substantially reverse atherosclerosis. And that's important. So we want to live a longer life? Then pay attention. Now, there are certain hormones that I believe the body must have. One of them is DHEA. When you have high levels of DHEA, and testosterone, uh, you increase your risk of survival, or your rate of survival. Make sure you're getting them. They're not difficult to get. Get your blood tested. Reduce your risk of prostate cancer, heart disease, and live a longer life. Okay? Simple. And the... The story that I found really remarkable when I was doing my research is a study that is from Rush University Medical Center, as reported in Health Day News, and it was published in the Peer Review Journal of Neurology, and it says, quote, the number of lives lost to Alzheimer's disease each year may be far more than thought and might rival heart disease and cancer as one of the top killers in America. Now, we were told that Alzheimer's affects 5 million people and is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. But, quote, a lot of people don't recognize that Alzheimer's is a fatal disease. They think people suffering from Alzheimer's eventually succumb to old age. They don't understand that Alzheimer eventually hits the part of the brain controlling breathing and heart rate shutting your brain down. This is another bullet in our gun saying this is a terrible disease. 
And by the way, Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia. It will destroy your memory, your judgment, your thinking skills. Eventually, it leaves a person unable to care for themselves. And I've seen symptoms starting in early 50s. And you increase your risk of Alzheimer's if you're overweight, if you have diabetes, if you have heart disease, if you have depression, if you're stressed. So, how can we put this in perspective? Just imagine this. You don't pay attention to most of the things that happen gradually in life. You adapt to them. Until one day, you're completely maladapted and you're totally bald. Or you're obese. Or your short-term memory is shot. But it didn't happen all at once. So we have to understand that any inflammation in the brain can start the process of killing or disrupting normal neuron activity, mitochondrial activity. So you can do a big good for yourself by flooding the body with polyphenols, grapes, grape juice, cherry juice, turns off pain and inflammation, um, resveratrol, vitamin E, tocotrienols, vitamin C, quercetin, coenzyme Q10, SAMI, all of these will help your brain turn off inflammation. But you have to do it on a regular basis and you can't be taking in pro-inflammatory foods at the same time. It doesn't work that way. So get off the bad diet, get on a living food diet, and get on a holistic brain protocol. I believe that we have about 20 million Americans who are suffering from undiagnosed Alzheimer's. Almost everyone I see over the age of 50 is suffering from some form of memory loss but they haven't been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And finally, two stories. One is uh, about a simple bark. It is called Amur, A-M-U-R, cork tree. And uh, it's been in healing for a long time, but now there's new research that it can help with pancreatic cancer. Uh, Utah University Health Science Center did the research there and found that the extract of the cork, C-O-R-K, tree is a promising treatment for prostate cancer and pancreatic cancer, and that's important. The article was published in the peer-reviewed journal Clinical Cancer Research, and it was also uh, shown that it makes a big difference. So add that to your alternative cancer treatment protocols. Amor cork tree. I've been advocating for a moderate protein intake for a long time. I've seen so many athletes, myself included, when I was a teenager, consuming vast amounts of protein, thinking that that's what you needed to be a good athlete. We were probably taking in three to four hundred percent more protein each day than what the body could even use. No one knew at that time that protein was not stored in the body. It was broken down. The process of breaking down excess protein is very toxic and energy intensive. It creates a problem for your liver and your kidneys. Today we know that a plant-based diet gives you more than enough protein and therefore when you sit down to a steak, just do the math. The math's relatively simple. Let's just say that today you get a 16-ounce steak. You're going to have about 8 ounces of that steak as protein, and the rest is a combination of water and fat. Well, you're going to get um, uh, you're going to get your 28.35 grams to an ounce. Let's round off, say, 28. So if we take 8 ounces times 28, we're at 224 grams of protein. Now, we only need between 40 to 50 grams under most circumstances, but there are exceptions. Pregnancy, lactation, uh, extreme athletic needs. 
but for the average person, about 40 to 50 grams. So already, let's just say it's 50, and you're already at 300 or 400% more than what you need. And that's just one meal. That's just one item in one meal. Now with the popularity of the Man vs. Food show, what you have is you have restaurants across the country have serving huge portions, mammoth portions. And in fact, once he had six pounds of meat, and by the way, that's not uncommon. So if we took half of six, uh, let's say he's got, well, we'll just do it this way. It would take eight times six, it's 48. And then if I multiply that 48 times a 28, that's a 1,344 grams of protein in one meal. I don't know how the guys lived. I don't believe he's going to live long. You cannot put a 1,344 grams of protein in your body at one time without risking killing yourself. But it's set a pattern. Now, everywhere you go, you see huge portions far beyond a person's need. Here's what would shock people. If you chose to get your protein just from animal sources, it would fit onto one fork. One forkful. Now, people would look and say, well, that's an awful small portion. Yes, it is. But that's what you need. And then they don't look at how much grams of fat you're getting. Four grams of fat, uh, or four calories, from protein and eight from fat. So you're getting over 2,000 calories in a single meal. So this is the latest study. It's entitled, it's from the University of Southern California. It was published in the peer-reviewed journal Cell Metabolism. Quote, two new studies conclude that low-protein intake may hold the key to a long and healthy life, at least until old age. They also emphasize the need to examine not only calories when deciding what constitutes a healthy diet, but also where those calories come from, such as whether protein is animal or plant-based. Then it goes on to talk about that uh, if you eat a high-protein diet, quote, you're 400% more likely to die from cancer or diabetes. That's 400%. Quote, those who consume modern amounts of protein had a 300% higher chance of dying of cancer. So you've got to eat the right amount. So we've gotten it all wrong. You're getting growth-stimulating hormones. You're getting amino acid damage when you're eating this high-protein diet. So be careful. You're putting in what you can't handle. I'm Gary Nall, back in a moment to continue, and I will be opening up our phones in about five minutes. That number is 888-874-4888. being heard right now in 166 countries around the world, and I welcome all of you. Now to our public health segment from ProPublica. Breaking a third of skilled nursing patients harmed in treatment with an exclusive look at how a government report released today. ProPublica's Marshall Allen reports that one-third of patients in skilled nursing facilities were injured and more than 1,500 died in a single month, a higher rate of medical errors than hospitals. Whoa. Well, 
I, uh, I did a report. You should read it. It's called Death by Medicine. It was sent out to 7,000 medical and scientific publications. It was sent out to the FDA, the USDA, U.S. Public Health Service, CDC. It was sent out to every single member of Congress. It was sent out to every single state representative at the state level. It was sent out to every governor. Not a single person responded because it showed the number one cause of death in the United States every year is not cancer, heart disease, or stroke. It's medicine. And in one subject that we dealt with in depth, and there were five scholars who worked on it, all MDs or PhDs, we found that nursing home patients were most likely to die prematurely. They were kept on antipsychotic medication, even though they're not psychotic, because it made them easier to handle. They were just being warehoused till they passed, all for a profit. So this report, quote, a third of skilled nursing patients, meaning these are people who are dying in homes where they have highly skilled nurses. And that's according to U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. More on this on an upcoming program. From our environmental segment, this is from Science Daily. This is important. It was published in Environmental Research. Large number of birth defects seen near mountaintop mining operations. Quote, birth defects are significantly more common in areas of mountaintop coal mining and are on the rise as the practice becomes more common. This was done at uh, Washington State University and West Virginia University. The researchers led by Melissa Aaron, health economist and associate professor at Washington State College of Pharmacy, found that there's 235 birth defects per 10,000 births, where mountaintop mining is most common in four central Appalachian states. It uh, That's nearly twice the rate of 144 defects per 10,000. Previous studies have found low birth weights, increased levels, of adult disease and death in coal mining areas. And this study offers one of the first indications that health problems are disproportionately concentrated specifically in mountaintop mining areas. Quote, the findings contribute to the growing evidence that mountaintop mining is done at substantial expense to the environment, to local economies, and to human health. End quote. So, in Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, southwestern Virginia, that's where you have mountaintop mining. And uh, it's all about the coal barons paying their state legislators who are in their pocket, their federal representatives in the House and Senate, lobbyists who uh, control the Department of Interior, and as a result, nothing ever happens to them. If there's a disaster, then they'll pay a fine or their insurance company will pay a fine. It's business as usual. We should ban all mountaintop mining, all of it, 100%. And then we should have a national reclamation system where we reclaim the land that has been used for the commons and go in and rehabilitate it, plant millions of trees, and uh, establish healthy ecological environments. And we should, wherever there's toxic ponds of water from the trailings, or the tailings, we should uh, put those under Superfund uh, requirements and clean up the environment. That's what we should do. Last week, I did a detailed analysis and rebuttal to the documentary, America. And someone said afterwards, why would you recommend people go see it? And I said, of course I want people to see it. For a simple reason. Because if you're sitting there, and if you can't be concerned about the bias, the blatant bias of this documentary that's becoming very popular, and if you can't see how stilted and wrong that the information is, then where have you been? What are you doing? You have to make yourself aware. And it's only when seeing how people are coming out of the theaters and applauding 
these are people going to ride out to listen to Rush Limbaugh or uh, one of the other ultra-patriotic ultra groups. So one of the things that I ask this man now, and I've sent him a letter, and I've invited him on my program to debate me, he is from India. And in one scene of this documentary on America, where there's just every other every other moment, there's another patriotic uh, gesture of some kind. And I've already gone through and, and challenged all the obvious points, but he kept kept talking about how let the free market, you know, take us into prosperity. Well, there's two types of capitalism, in my opinion, that are most important. There, there are other variations or other interpretations, but for Oregon, I'm only using two. The current capitalism, which is, it's a highly predatory capitalism, meaning there is no moral issue about how you make your money with product or service or gambling or using debt. And most of the corporate money today in financial markets is not coming by loaning money, getting a small return on it uh, to small businesses or to homeowners or people who need it. Instead, it is in derivatives and credit default swaps and all these other exotic instruments that do not help the economy at all, only them, and the algorithms and uh, gaming the system and insider tradings. Then you look at how many lawsuits these corporations have settled. It's into the tens of thousands And then you see, are there any clean hands? And you find there are none. The same with the pharmaceutical industry. So here you have people who have enormous clout. And yet if you look at their reputations, you would have to ask the media, why are you reporting anything this company says that this person runs it? They have settled so many lawsuits. They've been found to have engaged in so many unethical, uh, civil, or criminal actions if the average person committed as many criminal actions as the people in power, you would never give them any room at all. But you do. You sanitize their reputation and you promote it. Therefore, you are not just enabling them. You are a part of them. You have morphed into them because your income stream advertising comes from them also. So that's what is promoted in the film. The other form of capitalism is ethical capitalism. What I'd like to call instead of capitalism, ethical commerce, where the services and or products that you you share with people are based upon considering at all points the ethics of what is being transpired and exchanged and how that actually helps us and not hurts us. One uses a moral equation, one does not. And so I when you look at the small businesses in America, they've been the bedrock of employing people. And you look at what has happened over the last 50 years, they've employed more people than all of the governmental agencies, state, local, and federal, and all major Fortune 500 companies combined, doubled. And yet they're given no opportunity to be helped. They pay the highest rate of taxes, they frequently pay even higher because they have to pay their federal taxes and they have to pay state taxes. And if you uh, own a business, you have to pay the landlord's property taxes. He doesn't pay it. You pay it. And so the taxes they pay are frequently above 50%. And yet you never hear a word about how to help the economy by giving more money to the small business persons, going into communities and helping this community revive itself using small um, venues instead of these huge venues. If we gave every qualified small business person an opportunity to get an interest-free loan from a million to five million dollars, providing for each million, you would then employ one person to living wage, not minimum wage, a living wage, you would easily put five to 10 million Americans back to work and you revive economies. But we don't use common sense. Instead, we look at people in these films and say, ah, see, look what they did in in uh, India. They were able to take uh, 200 million people in India and move them into the upper middle class 
hurrah, hurrah. Yeah, that's true. They even did more in China. Here's what you didn't show in your film, and here's what the average person doesn't think about. At what cost? You have destroyed with massive mono-agriculture, genetically engineered. You've caused 250,000 farmers to kill themselves. You've caused a massive disruption in the rural life. You have mined water out of wells instead of using that water to grow local crops. You've allowed major corporations like the uh, soft drink companies to come in and buy the water rights where the people don't have the water, the farmers don't have the water, but a cola company does. You have a completely corrupt democracy. It is a farce. You also, I didn't hear you mention that since you're a proud person from India, what what is your background? Are you Hindu? Are you? If you are, why didn't you challenge the fact that more genocide occurs each year in India against the non-right of a fetus that is female being aborted if they're wealthy enough to get a sonogram or being killed by suffocation if they're not? Five million per year. That means over the last hundred years, a minimum of 200 million people have been killed. They have no rights. But let's say they don't get killed. The highest number of small girls are forced into prostitution or sold. And if they go against the parents, frequently then they are put to death in honor killings. They're grossly exploited. One of the most important environmental concerns uh, had an American teenager looking at brick-making in India and saw how terrible it was that they had all these young kids. And everyone in India knew this was going on, including the politicians who are utterly corrupt and in contempt of anything representing decency. And so it goes. So when you brag about a country, why don't you show the massive squalor? Why don't you show that your water purification plants don't work? Not because you don't have smart engineers who can fix them. You do. You have some of the smartest, highly educated people in the world there. Not because you don't have a need for it. Stand on the banks of the Ganges and watch human corpses float by. Watch the millions, hundreds of millions of bubbles coming up. That's methane, human excrement, because you didn't mention that you still have 800 million people without proper sanitation. And between seven to 800 million people are just defecating throughout the day wherever they can. Can't blame the people. And you have cities, some that would be as large as, they would fit into our top 10 in America that are nothing more than shanty towns. Now look, look at what I'm saying. A shanty town that has all uh, un, let's say, unlicensed electricity, just strung everywhere, jerry-rigged. People live in an absolute squalor with no clean drinking water, no septic systems, nothing. And they got six million people there. Six million people in a city put you ahead of Houston and Dallas and Portland and Seattle. It puts you in the top five cities. Why don't you mention that? Then if you're going to mention China, why don't you mention how many people in China have lived in abject poverty and now the environment's been utterly destroyed and one million people a year minimally, according to the Chinese's own statements from their National Academy of Sciences, died in the north of China because of the pollution from coal. So 26,000 rivers in China no longer can be used because they're dead rivers. You can't irrigate your land with the water because it's too toxic. You have toxic foods, you have toxic substances, you have counterfeit, the most counterfeiting in the world is done in China. So you didn't talk about the, the people in India who've made their money in a corrupt way or an immoral way. You didn't talk about how they really make it by being able to create debt. If you're big enough in an equity partnership, you can create debt. If you're a corporate raider, you can create debt. You don't risk your own money, use other people's money. Everything about this film is wrong. But unless you're on the ground, unless you actually visit the countries, unless you actually have a history, then you wouldn't know this. You'd hear the other people walking out of the audience clueless about the truth in our world. And also, I'm glad to see that you're against welfare. But you're not against... Wait a second. 
you're for corporate welfare. Oh, I see. You're against welfare for those who actually need it, who might save their life or give them shelter or food. That you're against. You talked about a free enterprise institute. Well, right up there is the Cato Institute. Quote, U.S. federal government spends $100 billion annually on corporate welfare. Uh Uh-huh. Well, let's add in Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi, and Ted Turner. They got subsidized for their farms. And how about Mark Rockefeller from The Rockefellers? He was given $343,000 not to farm. And according to the International Monetary Fund, $502 billion fossil fuel subsidies. That's $4,400 per family. States and cities and counties across the nation give an additional $80 billion to private companies. Anything from oil and coal conglomerates to entertain companies, banks, and even retail chains. That's an additional $700 it costs the average person. According to the Huffington Post, U.S. government banks, three cents of every dollar, another $83 billion subsidy to the banks. The five wealthiest banks, J.P. Morgan, Goldman, Citigroup, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo, all having thousands of lawsuits they've settled, they get 75% of that. Hmm. Banking fees over a lifetime cost the medium income family $155,000 and consume about one-third of their investment returns. According to Dean Baker at the Center for Economics and Policy Research, government-granted patent monopolies raise prescription drugs $270 billion a year compared to what they should cost on the market. That's corporate welfare. So, when you take a look at all the subsidies and all the write-offs and all the tax havens and all the ways that they can prevent themselves from having to pay taxes, so where exactly is the money coming from? It is coming from average Americans. It's coming from sales tax. It's coming from income tax, but not from the corporate elite, not from the 1%. And that's what you try to make us believe, that it's Jew is it's it's the major corporations that are so charitable. You think? You think the guy you had in your film, T-Boom Pickens, gives one penny beyond what is tax allowed? When people have massive windfalls of profit, like the hedge funds, they pride themselves, since they're generally cultural illiterates. If you had a conversation with most billionaires, you'd probably faint like a, a goat and lay on the floor frothing in the mouth for an hour. You can't imagine someone could be that rich and that stupid. And that's not even counting the people that are the siblings around them. You look at them and just wonder, where in the hell did your brain go when you were born? You got an empty skull there. Yeah, that's how it works. They give what they're told, but they want a hospital named after them. They want to be on a board of the Museum of Modern Art, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, some museum. They want to, be, they want to run PBS uh, at Channel 13. Oh, yeah and all the other places they can. They want it to be known they had money and gave it, but they want something in return because these are purely mercenary calculated people. You didn't present it that way. You made it seem like the people give the most to the wealthiest. Wrong. The Government Accountability Office investigated into Treasury Department financial losses found that tax avoidance of the super-rich, $181 billion. That's just in one year. $181 $181 billion in taxes they did not pay. One more reason to watch your film, to see one of the crudest piece of propaganda since Joseph Goebbels' film in the 1930s. I'm Gary Nall. Back in a moment. Please stay with us.
to welcome all of you. I'm Gary Knoll. Um, my engineer in New York, I'm out on the road, says that we had a little difficulty with our lines because so many people called in. It uh, caused a disconnect, so he had to restart it. You can now get back on. Please call 888-874-4888. Even bef- beyond diamonds and rubies, the most valuable gem is the compassionate, loving nature of your own being. So says Rinpoche. One of my favorite texts is an ancient instruction given by a high lama to the prince of a kingdom in eastern Tibet. The lama told the prince who was about to become ruler of the huge kingdom, in order to become successful in this world, you need three qualities, wisdom, compassion, and courage. These three will lead to a successful, happy, and fulfilling life. The first quality, wisdom, means knowing what brings true happiness. Most of us go through life being fooled. The Tibetan word for fool means someone who keeps doing the same thing again and again, expecting a different result each time. Because fools don't know how happiness really comes about, they're always chasing after happiness, thinking that it depends on other people or things like food and clothing. A wise individual, in contrast, knows how to move forward instead of in circles, because he or she knows the true source of happiness, the mind. In one of the most beautiful Buddhist poems, the great Indian teacher, Shantideva, compares the true nature of our mind to an incredibly large jewel lying in a heap of garbage we walk past every day. This is the jewel, the compassionate, loving nature of our own being. It is called the wish-fulfilling jewel because it leads to happiness and success. Garbage is a metaphor for a discursive mind, which lacks trust and confidence in the source of true happiness, loving kindness and compassion. When we first get a glimpse of the wish-fulfilling jewel, we might not believe that it is with us all along. So we embark on a spiritual journey in search of it. Some people feel that they can find the wish-fulfilling jewel only by going into some kind of deep meditative retreat. Others think they can find it by going to India or Tibet. But when they get there, in addition to getting a stomach ache and jet lag and everything else, they wake up to the fact that they could just have easily found the jewel back home. It isn't necessary to travel to exotic places in order to find our true heart. Whenever we are, and whatever we are doing, Walking down the street or washing dishes, our precious jewel of a mind is there to be discovered. When we know our own compassion, we can rely on it to accomplish our wishes. We have the wisdom to remember the source of true happiness and live our lives accordingly. Compassion is the best way to lead life fully, not just in terms of the spiritual, but also the mundane. Yet some of us seem to think that we can't practice compassion between Monday and Friday, or that acting compassionately just doesn't accord with reality. Maybe we have thoughts of compassion, but we're not able to live up to them. So another necessary element is courage. To have courage is to remember that we can gradually change our mind with quiet, simple techniques. If we can stop thinking constantly about ourselves, we'll be free to ask, what about others? What do they need? With courage, we can think about what we are willing to give before looking at how much we're going to get. What we can always give is compassion. I've noticed that when I'm worried about something, I can flip my attitude by generating a mind of compassion, thinking about others instead of giving in to me my own frustration. In doing so, I'm offering myself compassion as well. Flipping our thoughts towards people in need relaxes the mind which allows delight to arise. The mind becomes light because it is no longer burdened by the concept of me. That's why we have a nimble feeling when we do something nice for someone else, like fixing a dinner for a friend. Likewise, we sometimes forget how to be nice, but we should be all the time. We recognize the courage of compassion when we see it, When I think about the lightness that comes from acting with compassion, 
I think about all the teachers. As they grow older, they become more and more cheerful. If you ask them, how do you manage to have that level of happiness, they reply that it comes from turning the mind towards others. The sense of delight is a reflection of the power of compassion. What astonishing thought that we never quite believe that happiness is so available. We want to think some more about ourselves and others maybe later. Turning the mind towards others might sound like a lot of work, but it requires much more effort and energy to think about ourselves. That's truly high maintenance. When we think only about ourselves, we get serious, uptight, and heavy. Fewer things make us happy, and we become more territorial about the ones that do. Suffering and pain arise because we separate ourselves from other things and beings. When we meditate on compassion, we begin to realize we aren't separated from others at all. They are having the same experience as we are, because all beings want happiness, and we wish for them to have it. It is a very simple practice, but it's also a transforming practice, because as we continue, the conceptual boundary between us and them begins to melt. That gives us more energy to think about the needs of others, develop kind thoughts and intentions, and lead our life based upon those principles. The thought of helping others is compassion. Knowing how to do it is wisdom. Doing something about it is courage. No matter who we are, practitioners of meditation or not, we all want a level of happiness and contentment. And we can. I'm Gary Nall. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to this program today. I look forward to sharing more tomorrow. Have a nice day.